So I have here in my hands a a package, mm-hmm. Laura, that you have recently given me, and we'll tweet out a picture of this after we're done recording. But <laughs> you you have gotten me a gift. I did. It I was supposed that. to be for a holiday party, but it did not arrive in time. Yeah, which is good because you forgot presents Oof. for the holiday yeah. party. Yeah, well, that's just how it goes sometimes. Um, <laughs> so I've got some socks here. Yes, the socks have loons on them. Yes, they alert. do. Specifically um, <laughs> our logo. Like I didn't just go to like an yeah. outdoors store in Minnesota right. and buy socks with loons right. on them. Yeah, which you can do, by the way. Like, you that, totally can. That is not a difficult thing to do in this fair state of ours. Folks, I can buy literally every single thing in my house with mm-hmm. loons on yeah. them. No, that's what I'm doing right now. My There's wife actually... hates it. She, I'm just like... <laughs> Loading up bird catch all over our house. There's a okay. Let's let's do a quick count in uh-huh. our tiny little recording studio. <laughs> we have a stuffed loon, uh-huh. and we have loon socks, yeah. and then we have loon coasters, yeah, and loon mugs. Yeah, no, it's really good, and I would say that we need even more than that. Um, this obsession needs to become a little bit more unhealthy. Yeah. Uh, we need to basically become the bird and a lot of the time i feel like i am the bird i get online and i just think of myself as an animal it's very <laughs> it's very healthy and good and has not affected my work in any way whatsoever but welcome to this episode of print run my name is eric kane it's great to be with you with me as always is laura zatz say hello laura hello laura so um Mostly, we're just kind of picking through the flaming dumpster of the day, huh? It that seems was like. January 14th. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be kind of an episode in which we pick through what seems to be a really noteworthy slate of um, just book-related drama. scandals and drama and things yeah. like that. And like, what I'll say about it at the top is like, we're going to try to actually, rather than just provide like the play-by-play, we are going to try to pick through and find out where is this stuff coming from? You know, because I feel like that's where, like, it be, it was so much today, and it's been so much recently, and I feel like every time we plan an episode, there's been so many different crazy things to pick from that we could just make a show out of being, like, the ridiculous play-by-play people of the book <laughs> industry. But, like, we obviously aspire to more than that, and so we're going to We're the to... ridiculous play-by-play people with some takes. But what does it all mean? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, like, that's what we're going to try to do a little bit of today, because we can't just eat dessert, folks. We do have to have some vegetables every now and then. You said no to dessert before we started <laughs> recording this. Point um, of order. I like that we mostly begin our shows now with... You informing the listener of whatever the terrible things I've done in the last <laughs> half. Well, you didn't get the holiday gift. Well, you didn't eat the dessert. It's like I made open, you just homemade like clotted like cream, and you were like, "No, nah, I had a gigantic <laughs> apple fritter." You should have seen the fritter. Um, <laughs> but please, how about the rundown, huh? Yeah. So welcome. It is January. This is our first regular episode after our new like holiday. Eric is becoming a bog witch, yeah. like as a New Year's resolution episode. Going great so far, by yeah, the way. we're super excited to be here um, on this our ninetieth episode of Print Run. Oof. Uh, we have a bunch of special episodes coming to you this month if you are a Patreon on or if you're a patron on Patreon or I can just say a Patreon on yeah. Patreon I feel like that's I don't know sassy. What, I don't know what Patreon is. Like is that the person? I get, obviously it's the, it's the platform but like 
do you just call them patrons? Or? I think technically they're patrons, but yeah. um, that little slip of my tongue just sounded kind of sassy. So yeah. you patrons, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, if you're on there, <laughs> we're really uh, selling. It we do <laughs> we do three special episodes every month. The first is always a query critique show where we critique line by line real listeners queries. The second is a first page critique, which is the same as the query show, except with first pages. And then the third one is a floating episode. This month, we have a lot of like Q&A lined up, um, very like functional stuff about publishing, about querying, about writing. Um, so we're going to do a Q&A episode. So if you have any burning, burning mm-hmm. questions for Print Run, email us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and this is a little bit more because um, like we do the to Luna may concern segment yeah. which is a little bit more gossipy maybe a little bit more personalized like this is a more true publishing advice yeah show. Like, this we're is looking for like we want to actually help it's like when to use stuff. a pen name yeah, 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 like that how many words right. should this be how should like what about these comps yeah. like that kind of stuff totally um and we'll be providing that for you towards the end of the month because eric is going on a lovely adventure to somewhere that's not here so <laughs> oh, <laughs> third man. thing boom i was gonna say just like just pile it on is there anything else i haven't seen you in a long time I know, so i, I just gotta like fit it in yeah. you know what i mean um, um <laughs> but let's go back to today yeah um the so craziness a lot happened today, and I mean, really, it was one of those things where we just kind of like found out about all of it today. This stuff has been kind of happening for a while, but the first thing that I want to start with that really kind of caught my eye as something that is new and you know shiny today, but also is something that kind of stems from a larger conversation that we kind of have ongoing on this show um, is about the new Jill Abramson book that's publishing, I think, like next month or something. It's coming out very soon. Um, but it's supposed to be this big, flashy book, right? Like, it's uh, she herself is one, a former executive editor of the New York Times. The book is called The Merchants of Truth, The Business of News and the Fight for Facts. Um, and basically the premise of this book is it charts um, basically the evolution of, like, Washington Post, New York Times, Vice, you know, and kind of talks about the problems in media, the way media kind of functions in the 21st century, especially, as with all sales hook right now, in the age of Trump. Um, you know, all this kind of stuff about um, basically just media critique, right? And it's something, mm-hmm. obviously, that people are really interested in. I mean, I think that one strange peculiarity of our moment is that everyone has become media critics. You know, like, everyone has an opinion on, like, how the New York Times is doing. Which It's is on like, my resume. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but, like, the problem today, the reason we're talking about this book is because... There, you know, there are people in the book who are, you know, subjects of some of Jill's quote-unquote, I guess, reporting um, that have pointed out some pretty serious fact-checking mistakes and some pretty serious misleading passages or, you know, kind of alterations almost, it feels like, like to be polite about it, to various people's stories and approaches and, like, things like that. And it's sort of – there's been enough of it today and there's been enough of it from enough different kinds of people in media and elsewhere – I'm um, talking about what they found in like the advanced copies of this book and how it was kind of put together that it really seems like there's just kind of a larger pattern in this project of editorial carelessness or even some sort of, you know, smudging of the facts and things like that. It turns in- out that Jill Abramson is is not <laughs> indeed the merchant of truth. <laughs> got her. Boom. But very nice. Thank um, you. But it got me obviously it got me talking and thinking, you know, once again today about one of this shows, honestly, I mean, I apologize for whatever time we talk about it, but I really think it's the defining thing of nonfiction of the age is that 
we are dealing in it with a publishing landscape that is more interested and more obsessed with the splashy, you know, access media thing, you mm-hmm. know, the, as, as we kind of call it in shorthand, the cable newsification of books, than they are with actual rigor, you know, and this is the perfect example of it. It's something where you just pick the fanciest name you can find, uh, Jill Abramson in this case, and you just have them write basically whatever they want without much without much real scrutiny or fact-checking or anything, at the expense of whoever they want. And that's one kind of real undercurrent of some of these criticisms, is that a lot of the, a lot of the alterations to individual journalist stories and stuff sort of involved around taking, you know, uh, POC and other, you know, minorities and, um, you know, making them kind of fit a trope more than their actual life. To you make know? them feel like and, the the sassy upstart who yeah. was plucked from something and didn't actually like have a master's in journalism and work their yeah. way up and have a expertise in what they're working in. Right, exactly. It just feels like a lot of, you know, a lot of her depictions of people in an effort of what seems to be kind of get them to fit a certain type that a certain type of reader who buys this exact kind of book, and we all know the kind we're talking about, um, is going to read and kind of nod along and sort of mindless and think, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. That's how I picture, you know, kind of young, maybe more, you know, left-leaning journalists in, you know, upstart ventures like Vice or whatever. And um, it just feels like this, like the reason I think this story kind of took off today is because it hit at all kinds of different media blind spots, right? Like there is the... Um, you know, there's the fact-checking of it, and there's the lack of rigor with these sort of, you know, these books. But it's also the fact that no one even thought to question some of these things in-house because all of publishing is, like, upper class and, you know, white and all these things. So that they're reading along and thinking, hmm, no, all this makes perfect sense to me. There's nothing worth questioning here. So I want to push back on that a little bit because we've we've tracked this story for quite a while. We've tracked not this specific story, but right. we've tracked the cable newsification of publishing mm-hmm. um since Trump's election, since before that. And I think that there is very often in in probably the bulk of the stories that we talk about on the show, um there's one common denominator, and that is that Jill Abramson's publisher is Simon and Schuster. Yeah, it does keep happening there, doesn't it? Simon it and seems... Schuster is has kind of been having a lot of these gaffes. Well, they love all well, it's because they love this kind of stuff. I mean, they're a big, you know, they're a big commercial publisher. They love, um, you know, what they're owned by who CBS, right? Like it's a, it's a news oriented, you know, group, and I think that, um, you know, this kind of project fits well within obviously the current commercial trends and fits within. Kind of that just almost more, it's not even really a hidden approach anymore, but just this idea that what people are chasing is sensationalism mm-hmm. in nonfiction more than rigor. And I can tell you that as someone who represents journalists, especially progressive journalists, um, who is, you know, pitching books to a lot of the same editors who I then see turn around and buy this stuff, you know, and then we find out that it didn't really get edited, it didn't really you know, go through, you know, any of the real rigorous processes that we would associate with responsible publishing, um, all in the name of, um, you know, chasing, you know, something, you know, shiny that everyone in media will want to talk about because it, you know, it's about them and there's nothing that the media landscape loves more than to talk about themselves, right? Like people love that kind of story. Um, It's just, it's really frustrating. Well, let's let's talk for a moment about responsible publishing. Yeah, we should. Because um, 
by all rights, like Jill Abramson, as a former executive editor of The New York Times, like you sh- would think that she would make sure that her book is factual. Yeah, you think right? a lot of things about The New you, York Times. Because, because that's kind of the thing is yeah. like in journalism, you fact check. Um, you worked at both trade and academic presses. Yeah. Um, trade presses are very different from academic presses yes. in that trade doesn't fact check not as part i mean honestly not not as part of their normal process no because what happens like in in a contract is that a lot of the time um actually all of the time there is language in there saying that you are and the publisher is entering into this contract with an author with the understanding that the author has done their due diligence to make sure that everything is factually correct and that they have permissions for everything and that they've got the they've got all that settled and if they need to fact check then it comes out of the author's advance so that's i mean yeah i mean so basically the essence there of what you're saying is that it is the responsibility of producing a journalistically sound manuscript Mm -hmm. is is on the author yes and now that is something that can obviously be incredibly expensive it's something that you know it's expensive because magazine outlets and other web-based publications literally have people on staff that they're willing to pay a salary to do this Mm -hmm. like it's you know, it's a real thing that requires real expertise in real time. You know, it needs to be someone's job. And, you know, a point I saw today, um, you know, from a writer I really like, Helen Rosner. She's a food writer at The New Yorker. Um, you know, she was talking about how it's just a given in most prestige media publications that um, if something, if a, this sort of piece happened in, um, you know, in a magazine, they released something that was really shoddily fact-checked, um, was really kind of, you know, shallow and irresponsible in a lot of different ways. The publication would take the hit for that, right? Mm-hmm. Like as a, ma- you know, the, you would look at the magazine and say you did a bad job with that, right? But that isn't really what happens in book publishing, is it? Like n- most of the time in popular parlance, people like I haven't heard anyone other than us because we like stare at this in a weird way. <laughs> I haven't heard anyone talk about you know the publisher. I've heard people talk about Abramson, yeah. you know, and it's like the res- that responsibility of responsible publishing goes to the author in a way that doesn't happen in every other kinds of non-book publishing. Yeah. And I think, it, you know, it gets back to that idea of, like, um, you know, these people, you know, signing, you know, irresponsible, you know, like, like to think about the Mila thing again. Like, publishing is totally fine to make irresponsible decision after irresponsible decision and just wait to see who gets mad and then react to that anger as opposed to making the right decision up front based on actual rigorous practice. And that, I think, really needs to change because otherwise, you know, right down to an editorial and creative level, we're going to continue to prioritize books that don't really have any sort of substance you would call journalistically sound to them. They would, they're just going to be more, I don't know, like whatever this is, you know, these sort of like half-truth, you know, prestige media stories that like upper-class liberals will are really going to kind of enjoy and talk about amongst themselves, you know. We've talked on the show a lot about how, you know, the cable newsification yeah. has happened because publishing is predominantly white because predominantly because it's predominantly right. conservative in how it handles content. And it is, by the way. Like people love to, you know, especially conservatives love to point <laughs> at, look, look at publishing as like this big liberal um, you know, venture. It really is not as much as you it's think not, it is. It's not because yeah. it's a capitalist venture, right? right? Yep. And so I think one of the things that we've probably missed up until today on this podcast is the acknowledgement that the system 
of placing the onus on the writer contractually as as opposed to magazines and as opposed to newspapers is one of the reasons this is happening now in nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's because there isn't a structure in place for editors to come to their publisher and say, this person is nutballs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because then the book just gets published because it's nobody's fault because in the legalese, it's the author's fault. Well, like one of the errors, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. And like one of the errors I saw today that got pointed out, but I think, I think it was Jay Kang who pointed it out, was like, the author listed, and this made it in, the author, I mean, I guess the author listed it, but more importantly to, to this point is that it ended up in the final proofs that, like, Charlottesville was listed as a city in North Carolina yep. and not Virginia. And it's like, that is a very, you know, all surrounding politics of this discussion aside, that's a really simple error to that's catch. That's a proofreader in, error. In that's proofread- not a fact checker well, error. Well, it's a, it, could, it could be a fact checking error. It could be a proofreader error. It could be a copy editor error. It could be a regular editor error. Like, anyone could have caught that kind of stuff. And it just suggests that, like, there's kind of this pattern of not really paying attention to it. And, like, you know, we've singled out, you know, Simon & Schuster in this and some other cases. But I don't – like, I think that this is a pervasive problem. I think that this idea that um, we're willing to rush big, splashy books from big, splashy media types – at the expense of actual rigor and journalism is absolutely happening all over the place. And it's absolutely happening in a way that hurts actual publishing of substance that hurts, you know, the, um, you know, the landscape in a lot of ways that I think we probably have yet to reckon with. So I want to move on now to something else that happened today, (laughs) which is transition we'll be using for the rest of the, yes, something else that happened today, um, is that Sherilyn Kenyon, if you know that name, it's because it's everywhere because Sherilyn Kenyon is a multiple number one New York times bestselling author from Mm -hmm. tour. She does horror and fantasy, um, she very famously several years ago sued Cassandra Clare for stealing a bunch of her ideas that have been out since, you know, since like the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sherilyn Kenyon is a force to be reckoned with. She is now suing her husband and her husband's assistant for poisoning her to, the- <laughs> to, to get to cash in on a life insurance policy. This is wild. Her like hair was falling out in clumps and her teeth were like shattering and her bones were breaking and the doctors like couldn't figure out what was happening and it took years and then they tested her for like lead and among other things and it turns out she had like sort of heavy metal poisoning kind of things. Um, She kicked her husband out of the house and then she started to get better. So this is (laughs) obviously off the wall. In, in any number of ways, but it's just like you you can't even really make this kind of thing up because it would feel too canned, you know, like it doesn't really um, like I don't know, like you, you hear some of these details and it's like, you know, she you know, he was like demanding she, you know, eat whatever the food is, you know, and getting really mad when, you know, when he when she would and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, I don't know. Yeah, it's a whole thing. But apparently for a while there, um, especially end of last year. And the year before, like her health got so bad that she had to push back a bunch of her publishing dates. Yeah. Right. And so she's published with Tor. She's one of their huge yeah. publishers. She's got a date kind of like every September or something like that right. for this one series. Right. Um, and it had to be moved. And so like. Eric, as an agent, like how would you <laughs> deal with with? with 
this I mean how how would you like how can you approach a publisher and say my hair is falling out because I'm being poisoned what do I do now like can I move this date yeah I mean so (laughs) I mean that is a obviously we're dealing with an incredibly extreme circumstance here but I do think there is like I guess a point to be made about the you know the publishing process you know in our in our effort to kind of make this you know this episode of like wild things about more than what they are <laughs> like the one thing here like from it you know you talk about like you know as an agent what would I you know how would I be thinking about something and forget anything even remotely like this but just take the idea for a second of like writer support systems yeah right like everyone who's a writer especially if you're a successful writer or really a successful anything, people start to gravitate towards you, right? Like, mm-hmm. and they, and like one thing that I think is really important is just like having a strong sense of like who's around you and your work in a way that is health inducing to you, is beneficial to you, like is not, because here, I mean, again, this is about as on the nose and exaggerative of the metaphor as you could possibly get. Like this is a wild instance that, I mean, it's tough to even wrap your head around someone, you know, who would be like this. But, like, um, you know, you don't want to be around people who are kind of tacitly hurting you, you know, mm-hmm. who are make, who are, you know, making your, you know, your writing worse or making your um, – making it harder for you to be the creative that you are. And clearly this was a situation where, um, you know, like you said, like if we're pushing back pub dates and stuff – um, which, again, not the most important thing here, but, like, if we're trying to look for, like, the book angle here, yeah. I think that there is a point to be said, you know, as an agent, um, of really just kind of making sure that the writers you're working with are not, like, they're not getting, like, consistently bad advice from some critique partner, yeah. or they're not getting consistently, you know, you know, useless feedback or too much, too many opinions. Like, that's a big thing. It's, like, too many opinions, you know, from you know, too many different people, you know, in their, you know, tight circle. And, you know, things like that, I think, are worth paying attention to both as agents and certainly as writers. And this obviously supersedes all of that as a, you know, I mean, an act of domestic violence, you know what I mean? Like, this is, um, this is horrific. Um, But even on a smaller, less uh, personally damaging scale, I think that there is, you know, sort of a meditation to take hold of, you know, as anyone working in books, well, we will keep an eye on this story. I'm sure, like, as it goes to uh, trial, if it does man. go to trial, um, we will learn more about it. What a bump. Just what, guard your careers, just, you know? This is like, something I would expect to happen in Australia, and is, it's happening this is here. Some serious Australia shit. <laughs> we're going to get, like, a bunch of angry letters for putting, like, po- spouse poisoning on a whole continent. So that'll be good. Um, well, speaking of uh, putting things onto a whole continent <laughs> people are also really mad this week about That's marie kondo it also is an incredible transition thank you, you thank it. you yeah. every time i transition you always you always i love it yeah it's called it's called being a podcaster <laughs> so marie kondo yeah. um who you might know for for many years as people being about this yeah so she wrote the life-changing magic of tidying up the japanese art of decluttering and organization um, well, Netflix just put together a um, reality TV show where mm-hmm. she, you know, it's her and a translator because she doesn't right. speak English that well or right. at all. I'm not entirely certain. Um, goes into Americans' houses and basically holds up things and asks you if you want to throw them away. Right. And yeah. it's this very, like, lovely 
approach to to minimalism her her whole spiel is that if something doesn't spark joy in you get rid of it um and it's based on animism it's based on a lot of like what we would in america see as gently spiritual but in uh japan is something quite a bit more spiritual um but she was quoted misquoted in an article fairly recently as part of this netflix hoo-ha mm-hmm. um about saying that 30 books is the right amount of books to have yeah one thing and people that- win ape shit <laughs> One thing that book Twitter handles really, really well is like really harsh quantitative restrictions on how to do things. Um, that's always been whether it's how much time you write, whether it's how much time you spend editing or revising or whatever, to how many books you own. This is definitely something that no one's ever lost their minds about ever. I'm um, everyone online is incredibly reasonable as always. Yeah, <laughs> and this whole thing has spiraled out into yeah. like racist things you know talking about her as you know as an as an asian woman and and you know it's got a lot of like classist connotations because everybody is pinning these like false ideals on this woman in a way like minimalism taken you know beyond the if this doesn't taken in a way she didn't mean taken in a way that she doesn't mean is like inherently classist right because you have to have a lot of um financial freedom to only buy things that you love and to have a bunch of stuff that you can get get, rid of yeah anyway um anyway so it's it's kind of spiraled into this racist classist kind of nonsense when really like all these readers and writers just like haven't put their reading comprehension hat on i'll swear for the life of me i will never i'll never understand why people choose to get that fired up about something like this like this, like, if you want to keep your books, just keep your books. And if, if you, you want to throw them away, like, or donate them or whatever it is that you, you know, want to do with your books, that's totally fine. But, like, I'm just, we're on, like, day five or something of watching <laughs> people melt down about Marie Kondo's book plan. But and the it's thing like, is, everybody, I, everybody clears out their books in their own way at some point. Like, you and I cleaned out our books when we moved. You know, and that, that is a thing. Like too nice of an interpretation of how, like, awful these I know. people are being. I know. <laughs> like, it's... it's it's nonsense. So everybody know that Print Run Podcast formally um, endorses doing whatever the hell you want with your books. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I was looking. I was reading. I was reading coverage of this because, of course, this is this is getting coverage. Um, and I got to the Ron Charles uh, page of uh, he's like the Washington Post book critic and oh, he, good. he wrote us a charming article a few days ago January 10th so that's four days that's ago. four days ago we're going and that must have been the second day of people being mad so yeah we really are heading toward a solid week of people being mad at the concept of getting rid of books from your house so great job everyone on that um, but he wrote an, an op-ed titled <clears throat> keep your tidy spark joy hands off my book piles Marie Kondo uh <laughs> And it's, like, a pretty bland article about how he likes his books. Like, okay, great. But there was one paragraph here that really um, that really kind of just encapsulated what everyone is actually doing in this debate, which is trying to appear – they're trying to, like, backdoor self-flatter themselves in public, <laughs> right? And so here's here's a paragraph from, from our friend Ron. And he's talking about, um, you know, keeping books and getting rid of books and, like, what would spurn him to do either thing. <clears throat> But a few years ago, we were hit with two simultaneous disasters. I was appointed a judge for the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, and our basement flooded. 
All, all the carefully organized books in my office had to be immediately moved upstairs in no particular order. And then the Pulitzer submissions began arriving by the hundreds. Some days, my wife and I could barely drag the boxes off the front stoop into the house. Books started piling up in the kitchen, under the table, on the table, on all horizontal surfaces. Stalagmites of books rose from the living room floor. Streams of books converged into rivers that emptied into oceans of literature. Boo for you <laughs> as the judge I, of the Pulitzer Prize. Like, come on, dude. Like, what are we doing here? We see what you're doing here. I like, got all these free books. It's Bummer. Just... <laughs> Yeah, and then he's, and then here, it's not ideal, but my wife and I wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, then that's it. She didn't tell you to have it away. You and your wife didn't want it. You know what I mean? It's just like, I mean, I realize. Are those stalactites like sparking joy? <laughs> of, um, in of, over the course of this discussion about how weird it is that everyone has gotten mad at the Marie Kondo dis- debate, I am now mad about the debate here live on the air. Um, and that's fine. I think that that's good and healthy. Um, but man, like, Book Twitter needs to chill out a lot of times. Like, I would say, like, 90% of the time. It's like, what's happening? Are you really universalizing it in a way that is particularly useful to you and anyone else? And just, like, what are we actually mad about? And, like, ask yourself that before we are, you start. We are now instituting a you-do-you policy <laughs> in the book world. Yeah, yeah, Like, exactly. this is the policy that I have in my home. Uh, right. So now it's all your policies. Right. You do you. If you don't want to talk about how you shelve your books, how I shelve my books would drive Eric mad, most likely. And here's the thing, Laura. I don't give a shit. Because you do you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because okay, they're so, not your books. So look, and this goes for more than just this stupid debate, but like, just stay in your lane. Like, it doesn't matter. Just do what, do what makes you happy. It's fine. Like, Marie Kondo is not going to personally show up at your house and steal your books. Like... <laughs> I wish she would now. Although honestly. now that's a really good reason. For, like that's a I can come into your house now and steal books and be like, whoops, Marie Kondo did it. I wish that she was like swooping in on a helicopter and taking people's stuff at this point. Like I, <laughs> I wish that she was like. Because then there would actually be something to be mad about. That is actually a Netflix show I would watch. Is yeah, it's less about like ty- the life changing magic of stealing other people's shit. Like there we go. <laughs> like sign me up. I'm in. Um, Excellent. Anyway. <clears throat> So we've got one more doozy today. Are you yeah, ready? it's the main event. Oh my god, you got, like normally we try to plot these episodes in the in the similar way that you would you know plot a story. Yeah, you know, right, there's yeah. some there's some lulls, there's some highs. We're just hitting you like yeah. a Jason Statham action movie. Yeah, um, this so, is the crank of episodes. <laughs> it really it really is. <laughs> um, so Kathleen Hale. Um, <sighs> is Wait, not. hold on, hold on. <laughs> there we go. Um, she is she's a YA author. Um among other things. Um, oh, well, we're going to find out about all the things that she is. Um but the title of her first book uh, was called No One Else Can Have You. Uh, Harper Teen published it. Um and so this story begins with a review of that book, right? And mm. it was on I think Goodreads or Amazon, you know, some sites with consumer reviews. This sounds right? incredibly reasonable. I'm excited to hear how everybody has behaved <laughs> every... totally appropriately. Yeah, exactly. Um, so basically the book came out and I guess or I guess the book released, like, you know, some people get advanced copies and stuff. And someone who had an early copy of the book gave it one star on Goodreads. Mm-hmm. And that made the author upset. 
so far we're in we're in normal territory sure. here, right like obviously you know mm-hmm. this is something in this in her own recounting of the event she talked a lot about how she was conflicted about whether even she wanted to read her own consumer reviews you know that sort of thing you know you, we'd often advise authors not to do that because never read the reviews because sometimes you know random reviewers not book critics just people reading the book they're just going to say stuff that doesn't make any sense and they're going to give you one star for some reason that has nothing to do with the quality of the book or the you know like it arrived with a bent cover yeah, exactly like people are people are going to do that stuff or they're going to yeah they're going to rate like the Amazon delivery service instead of your book in their own minds you know like stuff like that it's going to happen and as we get as we progress on this story i do want to make a point about consumer reviews which is that authors are not entitled to five star or four star reviews and i know that that's kind of like a controversial point especially in this age of like campaigns to review books all of which i think is really good right like you want like there's no doubt that this kind of stuff is um like the way to fuel your book to success is to get lots and lots of people to review it on these sites favorably and you should as an author try to generate that i think that's a key part of any publicity and marketing campaign um and i encourage people to do it and i hope that it happens for you and your book but Sometimes a rando is going to show up and they're going to do this. And that is in keeping with the idea of consumer reviews. That is part, that is how this goes sometimes. And it sucks and it's not fair, but sometimes it happens, right? Are we, have I said anything that's unfair yet? No. So that's, so it's one of those things where this happens, it's not great, but that's, that's just how it goes, right? So to pursue that, um, after she got this one star review from this person she'd never met, this, you know, reader, book blogger person um kathleen hale decided to use various search agencies to including paying for a background check including paying for a background check to figure out this person's real name to figure out where they lived uh, to figure out all this other personal information about them eventually decided to hire a car service to take her to the reviewer's house Mm. and i guess event you know it sounds like according to the description of events um, as told by Kathleen Hale, so take that with a grain of salt. Um, to be fair, we know all of this because she wrote an essay for. Oh, we're the... gonna get that. <laughs> we're gonna get there. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, actually, that that's good. It's good times that he gets to it. The reason we know this story is because she proudly tells it to us in an essay in the Guardian, and it's basically recounting the fact, and it's framed from her perspective as. Um, you know, she got she she claims she's been catfished, right? Yeah. She's like basically she was you know treated poorly by this person on the internet who reviewed her book badly, and she went to investigate as an intrepid you know uh, gumshoe reporter. And but what sort of comes through is that this person like showed up at the house of a Goodreads reviewer who reviewed her book and gave it a one star. And like. And, and then at the very last moment, like before she knocked, she was like, wait a minute, I'm being crazy, which like everybody told her along the way. Says, OK, so that's the part where I want to just say the version of events we have is is Kathleen Hales. I'll, yes. just, I'll just say that, like yes. in terms of what we know about, you know, who turned away when and all that kind of stuff. But it's like clearly this is, you know, stalkerish behavior. The Internet decried it as stalkerish behavior. We all correctly identified the fact that it is unreasonable to do this. Yes. And that should have been the end of it. And it's extra unreasonable to write it into an essay and right. then publish it at the Guardian. Yeah, yeah. and it was like a, this popular essay. Um, and it was so popular of an essay, Laura. In 2014. Yeah. <laughs> 2014. That this this author was awarded a book deal. <laughs> a book deal that 
so in and of itself right there, that's probably a problem, right? Like yep. for, before we even get to what the book is about, we're dealing with an author who is really kind of a bad at this point, you could fairly say it's kind of a bad actor in the book publishing community. Right. right. Like if you're showing up at the houses of your reviewers like that, like that, that's a big no no. <laughs> Hashtag pub tip. Don't like, stop your <laughs> Hashtag uh, no no. Yep. Um, but it's just like you know, it's kind of eyebrow raising enough that this person has a deal. But it's an essay collection. The collection features the essay in the Guardian about how they stalked this person, and the essay collection is called. Would you like? Would you like to read the name of the title? I would. It is Kathleen Hale is a crazy stalker by <laughs> Kathleen Hale. So we're and it's got a it's got a great hyena on the cover. I will say the cover art is very nice. Honestly, I love uh, hyenas. Like I'm actually offended that they put a hyena on this cover. Do you think we could have a hyena moment in book art and aesthetics? Like, we had kind of a wolf moment a couple of years ago, I remember. I hope and so. And, like, there was, like, I think the hyena could really make I So here's what I want. I want Carmen Maria Machado to yeah. write an essay for me <laughs> or, like, a short story or something uh-huh. about motherhood and using hyenas and their difficulty giving birth because of how many androgens they are exposed to in the womb. This is incredibly specific. Yep. My God. <laughs> yep, yep. It's um like I want to talk I want like somebody to write specifically Carmen Maria Machado to write a short story about motherhood in terms of the fact that one third of all first time like firstborn hyena babies suffocate on the way out because it takes so long. Like <laughs> I know the, so much about hyenas, Eric. This is now the best tangent in the history of this show, and I'm like tempted. I what I would like to do, I'll tell you, please, dear listener. What I want to do is like start grilling you about hyena knowledge and turn this into like an Animal Planet podcast. But instead, I'm going to steer us desperately back on track. Okay, but <laughs> maybe. Never mind. But, let's are, do it. Okay. <laughs> But I know so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What else we got? Give me one more good hyena Okay. Okay. Um, their their um, birthing canal mm-hmm. turns 180. It's a 180 <laughs> degree. <laughs> it's oh so God. difficult. Oh, my it, God. That, the, and the reason for that is because mm-hmm. it is like through natural selection. How did you learn um, this? I have a degree in anthropology. That has nothing to do with hyenas. What yes, are you it does. About? Well, okay, so like the my degree specifically focused on like biology and archaeology and that sort of thing. So like evolutionary biology, this was one of the this was one of the big things, right? That like in my senior seminar we learned about like hyena pseudo penises. This is such a classic Laura story too. <laughs> one thing if we're if we're talking about like you you up in the episode with like things that that I do. Yeah. But like one thing that you do is anytime we talk about anything, you bring in the fact, oh yeah, I've got a degree in that. I've got an anthropology degree. It's, someone it's, it definitely covered somehow like Someone once hyena. called me a drive-by know-it-all. Yeah, yeah and that's I... actually perfect. That's a great way to put it. Whoever that was got it exactly right. You've got Yeah. It. Um Yeah. But <clears throat> Anyway. Oh, man, we are going to swerve the boat back if you, into If you want to know more about hyenas, tell me on Twitter. Um, man. Um, but anyway, so to keep to keep score here, we now have a book by this author that is geared around celebrating the fact, the that, fact she that she stalked somebody. She stalked a reviewer. And so like this person's not, obviously not their behavior has been rewarded. But it's not even just like that they got another opportunity. It's that they got an opportunity and a book deal because of the thing that they did. That was, we all can, I think, very easily agree, is an unreasonable thing to do. I have so much sympathy for the publicist who is supposed to sell this book 
because like how are they supposed to go to book reviewers yeah when the whole thrust of like the title essay is about stalking book reviewers i mean it's that's what i mean like we who would we're in uncharted territory the whole situation is just so crazy and meta and like i'm just just like looking um so this is a this is a grove atlantic this is a grove atlantic book um and they um have said something i think underwhelming and well, i guess underwhelming is the wrong word because they really kind of you expect a lot of wishy-washiness mm-hmm. you know in these sorts of things like a little bit of hemming and hawing but they didn't really they actually so this is what they said and i'll let you decide we stand by our publication there are six essays in this collection which have been revised and expanded since online publication including the essay catfish we would encourage people to read the collection before passing judgment like that's not really there's not really much like equivocating like they basically say no we think this is good and we're happy to publish it and we will continue to be happy yeah. to publish it. Right? I I mean I just I feel like there's something deeply deeply wrong with the fact that we have a publisher that is essentially like condoning and trying to promote this damaging behavior in their own community. Like this is this is like stalking is illegal. Like <laughs> yeah. like it is against the law and like specifically to have yeah have a book that kind of celebrates that particular invasive crime against people in their own community seems just deeply unsettling to me yeah i mean it's just i don't really know i mean though i guess the one thing i'll say about that statement at the end here is it does the thing that all publishers do in this sort of situation um, that I do find to be incredibly irritating, um, which is to say, well, you haven't even read it yet. How can you judge it without reading the book <laughs> itself? And it gets back into that same stupid argument we always have about everything about like, I'm able to judge that it's bad that you gave this a platform before reading, you know, every single page in good faith. Like, I can just say that I think this publishing situation is bad. I don't have to have read. It was like when. Um, you know, like to l- l- think back about like you know uh, that uh, Mila thing with Simon and Schuster, right? Uh, we were all scolded into, well, you have maybe you're just scared of the ideas, maybe you just aren't interested in, re- maybe you you haven't read it. How do you know? It's just typical outrage machine stuff. And it's like, no, no, I can just call this bad. I know that this is bad for reasons that have nothing to do with the contents of the book. Yep. And it feels, it's just, it's just so wild to me. It just feels like such a strong miscalculation in so many different ways because like no miss like at every turn people have doubled down i mean again it's not even just that she got a deal it's that she got a deal specifically because of like the jacket copy refers to the author as like refers to the incident as like a thing that is going to theoretically make you want to buy the The book the first line is kathleen hale has been known to stalk people from time to time yeah, they're trying to sell you on it. They're trying yes. to sell you on it. Like, it's just the most wild thing I can think of. It's crazy. But It then um, goes, not recently, of course, and only online. Well, mostly online. Yeah. Like, that does not make a reader feel safe. Well, I mean, for I mean, it shouldn't make the, the reviewing community feel. It shouldn't make anyone. I mean, it's just, it's a weird situation. And I don't know, I, I guess, truthfully, I will be interested to read a review of this book. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> not like, going to read the book. Just going to no, read. No, but like someone is going to pick this up and yeah. talk about it. I'm really hoping that the New York Times just has this like scathing, prissy, like <laughs> yeah. takedown of yeah. this of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Probably not though. This this feels like something that 
all of the major publications would love. It's going to, well, yeah, it's it fits well within the pattern of scolding you for being mad about it. Right. Like one thing that the, those sorts of, pub, those kind of big, you know, newspapers love to do is take the people who are mad about whatever justifiably bad thing is happening and say, the problem is that they're equally, you know, they love to like pick on like college students who are protesting. Like they think that that's like the biggest problem in America right now is that like college kids are mad at, you know, and that they don't know the and, difference between yeah. like Gen Z and millennials. Yeah, yep. it's so it's anyway, expect to be chastised a lot more about this and many other stories. But uh. something that we will never do other than the fact that you should be less mad yeah. about book stuff online and instead do you. Oh, typically, I think it's great when people when people are mad. Like I said, I'm trying to have a radio show here. Like I need <laughs> you, I need you to get frothed up like it's it's important to the business model. I just so. want them to be mad in Australia. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. here, like let's simmer down. Yeah. Let's simmer down. Let's all like take a chill pill, have a snack. Okay, uh, one more hyena fact before we go. Um, let's close on a hyena. Fact. Oh boy. Okay, but they're all related to hyena reproduction. Yeah, it's fine. Specifically. Yep, perfect. Okay, mm-hmm. so because female hyenas, along with male hyenas, are exposed, like need to like fight over their food because they're mm-hmm. scavengers. Right. Yes. Right. So. Um, evolutionarily, they are exposed to a lot of androgens, male hormones, in utero. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that means that when they mature and develop, their clitoris actually enlarges and turns into something that looks like a penis. So it's actually called a pseudo penis. Hmm. Um, and that's actually like through which they give birth. And it's very not great. Really, really strong stuff to yeah. close out the show. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Is- <laughs> You're welcome. Things I learned oh. in college. Oh man, things you learned on print run. <laughs> that in uh, that in middle English. Mm-hmm. Only two things. Yeah. Well, and evolutionary biology and like physics on a given day. And oh what, no, I have zero and whatever physics. else you've decided you're an expert in. That's yeah. one thing that I don't have. <clears throat> okay. I can't even catch a frisbee in midair. <laughs> All right, and with that. Thank you so much. Remember to send us your questions, your comments, your concerns. Um, unless you have concerns about hyenas, in which case I don't want to hear them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and we will see you for a regular episode next week. Bye.